So we're going to look at Genesis 16. We've been looking at the story of Abraham, or Abram, as he's called up until this point. He becomes Abraham in uh, chapter 17. And uh, last time I was preaching, we were looking at this whole story of how in Genesis 16, Abraham's wife, Sarai, uh, is desperate for a baby. And she thinks, well, you know, maybe... Maybe this can come through my maidservant, Sarai, uh, sorry, Hagar, my maidservant, Hagar. And so she encourages, and uh, Abraham doesn't put up too much of a struggle, uh, she encourages her husband to go and sleep with Hagar, and she does indeed uh, get pregnant. But it all goes a bit wrong. Uh, we'll read through the chapter, and uh, we're going to focus actually on the second part of this chapter today. So it says this in Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord's judge between you and me. Your servant's in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants, they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you'll have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard of your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he'll live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. That's why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy and Beer Lahai Roy means well of the living one who sees me. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bought Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she'd born. Abram was eight to six years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. All right, so up until now, we've been focusing on Abram and, uh, and Sarai in this story. Uh, Abram, for most of the, the, the passages that we've looked at since Genesis chapter 12. But today, we're going to shift focus a bit, and in fact... Uh, God shifts focus in, in the Bible to Hagar. We're going to look at Hagar this morning. She's uh, somewhat of a bit player or an extra. Uh, I, I don't know if you're aware that when uh, you're making films and things like that, people uh, are known as the main lead uh, roles, the lead players, but then there are these bit parts or extras. I think Ricky Gervais did a TV program a few years ago called Extras, focusing on the extras, the people who were in the background. Um, apparently, people who have got under six lines uh, counts as someone like that. Well, Hagar in this story, I think she's got three. Uh, so she counts as an extra, a bit player, uh, someone who maybe isn't focused on too much in the whole story. However, God is wanting to put the light, spotlight on Hagar this morning. Today we're going to see Hagar's story, things from her perspective. And she's often the ignored one, the outsider. She maybe felt like that in her life. Um, and maybe you sometimes feel a bit like Hagar too. Maybe you sometimes feel like you're a bit player in God's story, a bit player in the church, an extra, someone who's on the fringes, not one of the main players, not the person that the spotlight is on. Children, if you're here today, you might feel a bit like that as well. Maybe you think, oh, it's all about the adults. Maybe it's all what God's doing among my parents, my mum and my dad. But today, God's wanting to say, no, I'm going to speak to you. I want to speak to you. I want to come and meet with you, the people who consider themselves 
bit players, bit parts. Because in this passage, Hagar meets an angel of the Lord. And you know, when people meet angels of the Lord in the Old Testament, those people are normally described as encountering God themselves. Encountering God themselves. You can see an example of that in Exodus chapter 3, and uh, where Moses encounters God in the burning uh, bush, or the bush that actually isn't burning. It's a misnamed bush, really. It's a bush that isn't burning, uh, but there's fire. And in verse 2 of chapter 3 of Exodus, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in flames of fire from within a bus. It's a bush. <laughs> bus? <laughs> I suppose you could meet someone in a bus, but this was in a bush. Um, it's the angel of the Lord who is described as appearing. But then very quickly, when we get to verse 5, it's clear that it's God. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for this is place is holy ground and he said i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob it's described initially as an angel of the lord meeting moses but it's really god it's god come down in uh, in, in human form almost and uh, in verse 13 of chapter 16 we see that as well first of all it says it's the angel of the lord who meets her but very quickly uh, hagar recognizes and she says you are the god who sees me I have now seen the one who sees me. Um, she's talking knowing that it's really God who has met with her. So this bit player, this extra, this person who's on the side of things, who no one's really seen, no one really notices, gets to see God. She gets to see God. She gets to meet God. In this passage, Abraham doesn't get to meet God. Sarai doesn't get to meet God. Hagar gets to encounter God, the bit player, the bit part. Two, also today, we can get to see God. God's already been encouraging us, hasn't he? He wants us to see him this morning. He wants us to see him. He sees us. He wants us to see him. So God in the form of the angel, asks Hagar a question in verse 8. He says this, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? These are key questions for Hagar and they're key questions for us as well. Where have you come from and where are you going? Of course, God knew the answer to that. He knew where she'd come from. He knew where she was going because he'd seen her. He knows her. He's God. He's, he says, Sarai, uh, sorry, Hagar, servant of Sarai. He knows who she is. He knows who she's a servant of. But yet he asks her this question. Hagar, where have you come from? And where are you going? He knew the answer, but he's getting Hagar to reflect on that herself. We're going to look at those questions this morning. Where has she come from? Where have we come from? Where is she going? Where are we going? And what's got God to say about that? So first of all, where has she come from? Well, Hagar initially came from part of Sarai's, uh, from Pharaoh's entourage. I keep saying Sarai when it's not Sarai. I don't know why I keep saying that. Um, but she's part of Pharaoh's entourage. Back in Genesis chapter um, 13, I think it is. Uh, no, ch- chapter 12. Abram goes down into Egypt. This is not one of Abram's greatest uh, greatest days or, or greatest moments. When he goes down into Egypt and he sells off his wife to Pharaoh. And in return, he gets a load of wealth. He gets some uh, cattle and he gets some sheep and he gets some servants. And part of that package comes Hagar. She's part of that package. So she'd been in Pharaoh's entourage up until that point. Probably a place of quite a bit of comfort. Uh, she would have, it would have said her homeland. She would have maybe been finding that not too bad. But she's given to Abraham. And Abraham's obviously then going to go. And he goes back into Canaan. He goes into the place where there's a famine to start off with. That's why he, he left there to start off with. So he's going back where there's a famine. Life's going to start getting a little bit harder for Hagar. She's with these people. She's never met them before. So suddenly, Pharaoh's saying, oh, Hagar, you, no, you go off with Abram. Who's this guy? Abram? 
Oh, he's the guy who sold his wife off to you. Oh, great. He's a good guy, isn't he? Um, she's, she's there with him. And she starts a new life with Abraham. And she becomes Sarai's servant. But she's not living at home anymore. She's living in a strange place. She's moving about from place to place. There's no, she's not settled at all. And uh, where's life going? Where are things going for her? What's life got in store for her? She's a victim of circumstances in a way. She's a victim of circumstances. She, she's not in control of her life at that point. You know, she thinks she's in control. Maybe thinks things are going okay, but suddenly events take over. And, and she's not in control anymore. She's a servant. She's not her own. She has to go where Abraham goes. She has to go where Sarai and do what Sarai asked her to do. And then suddenly, one of the things that Sarai asked her to do is slightly unusual. Hagar, why don't you come and sleep with my husband? I didn't think that was part of being a servant. didn't think that was part of the plan, but no. She gets offered to sleep with Abraham because they need a son. They need a child. That's the one thing that Sarai's not got. That's the one thing that she hasn't been able to sort out for herself. And she thinks, well, maybe it's going to come through Hagar. Maybe this is how it can happen. So, again, a victim of circumstances. She's not going to have a lot of say in that. She gets to choose. Sarah gets to choose. Abraham gets to choose. Hagar, no. It's not her choice. She won't be able to have any say in it at all. A victim of circumstance. Life's just happening to her. And then she gets pregnant. She gets pregnant. And at that point, at that point, she decides, ha-ha, I can take some control here. I've got something that I can take control of my life. I can sort it out myself. I've got a bit of power. I've got a bit of leverage here. And so she, she starts to ill, uh, to despise Sarai. And as I said last time I was preaching, she's probably then trying to get Abraham on side. She's trying to make life difficult for Sarai. She probably thinks, do you know what? I've got Abraham's son or child in me. And I know, I've heard these stories that God has spoken to Abraham and he's promised him many descendants and it's not happened through Sarai and she's old and I'm young. And clearly it seems as though this is the way God's going to do it. So, you know, I'm in here. I'm in. I can become, I can just oust Sarah and I can become Abraham's wife. And I can come into all of the promises of God and I can make something for myself here. And that seems to be what she tries to do. So she starts to despise Sarah and Sarah's just saying, well, you know, what's going on here? She's causing Sarah some grief. Sarah's really struggling with this because Hagar is trying to make something of herself. Hagar's trying to force the issue, force something to happen. Problem is, that's not what God had intended. God's plan was for Sarah to get pregnant. God's plan was for Abraham's descendants to come through Sarah, his wife, not through Hagar. Sarah had made that choice and she'd made that call and, and, and she's trying to make something happen herself. Hagar's getting caught up in the middle of it, but she's thinking, I'm going to take advantage of it. But none of it is in God's plan. None of it's in God's plan. So it's not going to work out. And in fact, it doesn't work out. Hagar's trying to do something, but it's not working out. And so in the end, Sarah starts to ill-treat Hagar herself, she starts to um, be really horrible to her, such to the point that Hagar has to run, probably in fear of her life. She runs, and and she goes, and she ends up in a desperate situation, where we see her here. She ends up alone, pregnant, without any husband, in a foreign land, no job, no means of support. How's she going to cope? How's she going to cope? It's desperate. Who's going to marry her? She's carrying the child of someone else. She's never going to get married. So she thinks. It's a desperate, desperate situation. That's Hagar's life. She tries to take control and it all goes 
a bit pear-shaped. What about us? Where have we come from? Well, I guess each one of us individually will have a different story. But where we've come from can very much affect how we are. It can affect how we are with other people. It can affect how we are with God. Our upbringing can have an effect. Our upbringing can make us act in certain ways. Maybe uh, you've grown up and you've never really known what it is to have a father. A father who loves you. Maybe your father left home. Maybe you were always just brought up in a single parent family. Maybe um, your dad died. Who knows what happened? But that could be the case. And it could well be that you think, actually, I don't know how to relate to God now. I don't know how to relate to God as a father. So you struggle with that. What's happened to you in the past affects you. Individual experiences that we may have in life affect us. We're not in control of everything, are we? We often feel like we want to control life. We want to be in control of life. We want to make things happen. But but actually, life happens. Life happens. Situations happen. Circumstances happen. Maybe we'll get taken somewhere else. Maybe, Maybe we'll end up moving house for some reason or other. We'll be apart from people we know and love, as Hagar was. Maybe situations will happen to us. People will do things to us over where we've got no control of it at all. We're victims of circumstances, people would say. Victims of circumstances. And it can cause us to close off, to not trust people, to not trust God. And then there can come situations where we think, aha, now, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity where I can make something happen. Here's an opportunity where I can make something of myself, where I can carve something out to me. Maybe in your work situation, maybe in your family life, you suddenly find, ah, something's happened to me, and now I can become something. Now I can I make something of myself. Maybe even you, you, you might even suddenly find, as a, as a woman, you think, actually, now I've got children, and now I can redefine myself. I can be a mother to these children. Well, yeah, that's absolutely right, to be a mother to children. But that can become the sum total of who you are. That can define you rather than allowing God to define who you are. Whatever it might be, we can think we can make something happen. An opportunity arises. Maybe you, you, you think, I've always been overlooked. I've always felt like this bit part player. I've always felt like this extra in church life. But now I see an opportunity. Now I see an opportunity to go for something. You know, even through circumstance, even through the circumstances of what's happened to us recently, you know, it could well be that there's people who think, oh, either, either within the church or even outside of this church, think, oh, Arnold's, Arnold's not there anymore. Arnold's not leading the church. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. There's a vacancy. I can, I can, I can fit that vacancy. I can just maybe come in and, and move to Sheffield and, and, and become, become the leader of City Church. Become an elder of City Church. There's a space. I can make something happen. It may well be that God has got those things for people or whatever else it might be. But if we're looking to try and make something happen, if we're looking to try and take advantage of an opportunity, it's not going to go well. It's dangerous to try and make something happen outside of God's plans. We need to be humble. We need to allow God to lift us up rather than promote ourselves. We need to allow God to, to, to bring us into a new place. Because otherwise we can end up in a desperate state. We can end up in a desperate situation like Hagar. It can all just go wrong. Oh, do you know, I thought if I moved to this place, I thought if I did that, it would all go well. I thought if I took this job, then my life was all going to pan out well and I was going to get a load of money and I was going to move to this house and whatever. And then, no, it's all gone pear-shaped and I've ended up in a load of debt and I've ended up in marital strife and arguments with my husband or with my wife and and actually we've ended up separate now and and my kids are not, don't see me. And whatever else it might be, it can all go horribly wrong when we think we know best. When we try and take control of our lives. 
And like Hagar, we can end up in a really, really desperate state. Individually, we can have been in lots of places. As a church, we have been led by God. But things have happened. Circumstances have happened. Not everything has been easy. Not everything has gone the way that we expected it to go. How are we going to let the past shape us? Are we going to let it affect us? Are we going to let it affect our relationship with God? Are we going to let circumstances define how we relate to other people and how we relate to God? How much we trust him? Where have we come from? The second question the angel or God asks Hagar is where are you going? Where are you going? Well, Hagar was going back to the only place that she knew. She was heading back to Egypt. It says she was on the road to Shur, or Shur. That's, that's on the way back to Egypt. Because where else was she going to go? She'd been Sarah's maidservant, but that had all gone wrong. And now she's got nothing. And the only place that she knew where to go, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Egypt. Life was better there. Life was better there. I I had some security there. That's where I'm going. But you know, to get back to Egypt, which might have looked attractive, she has to go through Shur. And Shur wasn't a great place at all. It was a wilderness. It was a desert. There was no water there. We see in Exodus chapter 15. And uh, let's read from verse 22. Moses leading Israel. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they couldn't drink its water because it was bitter. It says, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? This wasn't a great place to find yourself. It's a horrible place, a desert, a wilderness. She's heading back to what she thinks is going to be better, but she, but she's got to encounter this desert. She's got to encounter this wilderness. She's thirsty. She's got no water. The Israelites traveling around three days not finding water. I think you can only live for three days without water. And this is in extreme heat. You could die there. He can die just going into this wilderness, this desert. And that's where Hagar's gone. She's not in a good place. She's going to be weak, weary, tired, thirsty, hungry. Life has just landed her at the bottom of the heap, really. Could it get any worse? Could it get any worse for her? She doesn't even know she's ever going to get back there. But it's the only place she knows where to go. And what about us? Where are we going? Where are we going? Well, if we're in a position like Hagar was, if we find ourselves in a position where life's not going well and circumstances affected us, well, actually, there can be a real temptation. We can, we can be in the church. We can be here today. But feeling, I'm on the edge. I'm not, I'm not here. You know, it's all happening with other people. It's all happening with the people down at the front. Oh, I see people bringing up, coming up and bringing words. But you know, I, I, how, how do they ever hear God? I don't even feel I hear God. I just come along and sit here and walk home and just feeling just the same as I ever did. And the temptation is, you know, I, I, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to my old way of life. Why, why am I even bothering with church? It's only full of people who are going to say things and do things that hurt you. Why am I even bothering? You know, I, I think I know what God's going to do and then he does something else and, and I just feel disappointed or hurt or, 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 you know, whatever. I don't understand it. I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to my old way of life. You know, life was better then. That's what the Egyptians thought, the Israelites thought, sorry, with Moses. Oh, life was better in Egypt. You know, God had brought them out of Egypt into a promised land, into a place, but they're in the desert. And at that point, it's like, things are too tough. You know, there was cucumber sandwiches back in, in Egypt. Much nicer. You probably didn't like cucumber sandwiches when they were there. Who does? 
But they were looking, they were looking for them. Oh, it's much better. That, that's a real temptation for us. Life was much better before. We can look at people who, who don't know God. We can look at people not in the church and we can think, well, they look happy enough. They look pretty sorted. They're getting what they want. They, they, they've, they've got wealth and maybe they've not always got it even by fair means, but they seem to be all right. They seem to be enjoying life. They seem to be having good relationships with people. Their life seems okay. My life's a mess. And I'm in the church. Why, why am I bothering? Why am I bothering? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm just going to get pulled back into that. It's, it's fine. I've clearly made a mistake here. It's, it's not panned out as I thought it would. It's a real temptation. Let's not, let's not downplay it. It's a real temptation for us. We'd hoped maybe that life would be better. We'd got promises from God and we thought we're going to hold on to these promises. And we held on to them and we held on to them and nothing has happened. And we think, well, where is God then? Where are the answers? I trust a God and he's not shown up. We can feel like that. We've dared to believe. We put ourselves out there, do you know, and I'm not doing it again. I'm not believing for that again. Yeah, I've, we prayed for healing. I went out on a limb. I really believed for that healing. And then it never happened. And I, and I'm, I don't think I can go back there again. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I can't do it. It's too painful. It's too painful. Do you know, I'm, I'm so tempted to just go back, to shrink back. Even if, it, even if it's not going back into my way of life, I, you know, I'll come along to church. That's where my friends are. I'll kind of just fit in. But I'm, I'm not going out there. I'm not taking those steps of faith. I'm not risking it. I'm not speaking up. I'm not daring to speak what I think God might be saying because I've got it wrong in the past, you might think. So I'm just going to sit at the back. I'm just going to sit quietly. It's too stressful. Too much pain, too much conflict. Maybe you had hopes for your family life. Maybe when you got married, maybe when you got engaged, you thought, it's wonderful. This relationship, I mean, it's wonderful. And, and maybe, maybe you did meet with one of, one of us and, and do marriage preparation and, and we said, well, you know, when the hard times come, then you need to work through some of these things and this is how it might be good communication and, and things like that. And you, you, you may have sat there and just thought, what? You don't understand. We love each other. We're made for each other. It's wonderful. We're not going to have any problems. We're not going to have any conflict. You had high hopes. You had dreams of what married life would be like. You had dreams of what it would be like to have a family, to have kids. Kids who would grow up. Be perfectly obedient all the time. Respectful. Grow up. Get saved at age two and a half. Grow up. Worshipping God. Loving God. Probably being a church leader somewhere or, you know, that was your dreams. You've ended up, you think, what? What's going on here? My husband doesn't talk to me. Sits playing his iPad games all the time. What's the point? My wife, she's just nagging me the whole time. I don't know. I just, is it any wonder? Well, what, you know, there's a new Temple Run game. I think I'll download that. <laughs> and the kids, kids, what? Where are they? What are they doing? They're just arguing the whole time, mouthing off at us. Slamming doors, getting stroppy. Who, you know, they think they rule the house. Life's not like we thought it was going to be. It's not like we thought it was going to be. And we can just accept it. We can just think, oh, that maybe that's what we're going to accept. That's the way it's going to be. Let's just get through it. You know, kids, they'll be gone. They'll be gone in 15 years. Get <laughs> all right. Can get through that. No, but we can, no, we can just accept things as they are. We can just stop 
hoping. We can just stop believing. We can just think, I just, I'm just going to get through each day. And that's all I can do. And where's God in it? I don't know. I don't know. Just go through the motions. Do you know what? We'll end up in the wilderness. We'll end up in the, in, in the road to shore. Where there's, where there's just no water. There's no life. There's no, there's no spirit of God. There's no vibrancy to our life. It's just a place where we think, do you know, it feels like we're going to die here. I think we'll just die here. Such a need for the spirit of God. But, but we're not even daring to hope. Because we don't think God hears. And we don't think God sees us. He doesn't seem to have been there. where we're headed but what was God's plan for Hagar and what's God's plan for us Hagar finds a spring in the desert a spring in the desert what a thing to find when you're thirsty when you're weary when you're tired that's what you want to see you want to find a spring in the desert she finds some water And she stops there. But not only does she find water, she finds God. She finds God at the spring in the desert. That's a bit like the woman at the well, isn't it? She's coming up. She's thirsty. She wants the water. She finds Jesus in John chapter 4. Jesus meets with her. God meets with her. And Hagar finds God. He meets her there. God sees her. She wasn't looking for God. She's not gone there looking for God. But God's come looking for her. God's come to find her. That's what what it was like with us as humanity. We weren't looking for God. We weren't seeking after God. God came to find us. I think it's in Romans chapter 5. He says, at this, at, the, at this moment, let me quote it properly. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still sinners. We were still running away from God. We were still rebelling against God. We didn't want to know God. We weren't looking for him. At that very moment, Christ died for us. That's the case in our lives too. We might kid ourselves on that we're looking for God. We're searching for something spiritual. In the end, actually, we're just looking for something which will satisfy us personally. We're not really looking for God. We're not really looking for God. But at that very moment, Christ died for us. That's when God finds us. And that's what happened with Hagar. She wasn't looking for him. But he saw her. He saw her. And he heard her. And he speaks to her. Because he loves her. She didn't love him. She wasn't one of his people. As far as we know. But he loves her. And he tells her, he tells her to go back, doesn't he? He says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. That seems a bit of a harsh thing to say. You know, she's had a torrid time back there with Sarah. She's been a victim of circumstances. She's thought she couldn't, she couldn't cope with it anymore. So she was running off. She was escaping. And what does God say to her? Go back to her. Turn around. Repent. Turn around. That's what it means. Turn around. Go back to that situation that you were in. Go back to that difficult situation. Submit to Sarah, your mistress. What? Why should she do that? Because actually it was in that situation that God was going to work things out. It was in that situation that God was going to work out his plans. He gives her a promise. He gives her a promise. He says, you're now with child. You shall have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. God hears. God's heard her. She's been thinking God's not heard her all along. She's perhaps been crying out. 
in desperation and in pain. Who can hear me? Who can hear my suffering? Who knows what I'm going through? God hears. God's heard that. Says, name your son this. God hears. Remind yourself about it. You'll have a son, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He's heard of your misery. And she says, you know, he, he, he tells her other things as well. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand against him. He'll live in hostility towards his brothers. Do you know what? Life's, life's not all going to be great. It's not all going to work out wonderfully. It's not going to be all peaceful. Actually, even your son, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be consequences. There's still conflict. God asks her to go back. He doesn't promise it's all going to be fine. He doesn't promise her that Sarah is going to suddenly welcome her back and go, Oh, Hagar. Hagar, thanks for coming back. I'm so sorry that I was mean to you. You know, I was so unfair. Oh, come on. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, you, you must be seven months now. God, put, put your feet up. Put your feet up, Hagar. It'll be all right. I'll look after you. Don't worry about serving me anymore. No. Life's going to still be difficult. Life's still going to be difficult ongoing. There's going to be conflict. We, and we see it later on in Genesis. There's conflict. In the end, Hagar does leave again. Leave Abraham and Sarah. This conflict comes. But right now he's saying you need to go back. You need to go back to the place where I am wanting to work in your life. But God meets her where she's gone. God meets her where she is. And she realizes. She comes to see that God has heard her. And she comes to see that God has seen her. In verse 13, she says, it says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. You know, God always saw her. God always saw her. But she's just come to realize that now. She didn't know. She didn't know that God saw her. She didn't know that God saw her in her pain. She didn't know that God saw her in her anguish. And actually, God also saw her in her manipulation and her deception and her trying to make something happen herself. God sees. God sees us. That's a very comforting thing when we've been badly treated. It's a very comforting thing when we're in situations where we're the victim. Oh, God. God sees us. Actually, it's quite a scary thing when we're trying to manipulate and make something happen and when we're sinning because God sees us other people may not see us other people may not know God sees us and God has seen Hagar but now she has seen God she has seen the God who sees her this is the only time in the whole Bible someone gives God a name God's got lots of names Lots of names. You only have to sing, um, I will set my face and, uh, to seek the Lord. And you go through the verses. There's all, a number of names of God. God has got many names. But this is where a person, a bit part, an extra, she gives God a name. She says, you are God who sees me. She gives the name to the Lord. A little extra, a little bit part, insignificant, doesn't really matter. Who cares who she is? Who cares about her? God cares. God sees her. She sees God. She's seen something different. It's been opened up to her. Her eyes have been opened. God's wanting us to grasp this. And so she does. She goes back. She goes back to Abraham and Sarah. And it says she bears Abraham a son. Abraham gives the name Ishmael to the son she has born. And she gets to keep him. Because if you remember last time, the plan was, I think in verse um, verse 2, 
Sarah, her plan was, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. What tended to happen in those, in those cultures, because it was a common thing, well, maybe not common, but it was acceptable for people to sleep uh, with their wife's maidservants if they couldn't have children through their wife. Um, it was acceptable. The child would become the wife's. It's kind of just becomes that part of the family. It's a bit like, uh, I don't know, maybe surrogacy these days, um, something like that. You know, that someone bears a child, but then the, the child becomes the, the wife's. And that's what Sarah had planned. Sarah had planned for Hagar to have the child and the child to become hers. But that didn't happen. God allowed Hagar to keep the child. And the promises that came for her of, of um, you know, I will increase your descendants so they will be too numerous to count. That came through Hagar. There was grace to Hagar. There was mercy to Hagar. She got to keep her own kid. And he's loved by his father. Abraham loves him. We see that in chapter 17. When, um, when there's a promise coming again to Abraham, you know, you will have a child through Sarah. And Abraham says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Abraham's saying, look, this has been just too much. I've been going through this for years. Am I still believing for Sarah to have a, a child? <laughs> Can you not just let Ishmael come into it? Because he's my son and I love him. You know, he'd not been happy before. He'd been like, oh, well, you know, Eliezer of Damascus is going he's gonna to have to be, you know, take over my inheritance. He's not thinking that anymore because he loves Ishmael. No, Ishmael, can he be the one? Can he be the one? Hagar's got to keep her child. Ishmael's got a dad. He's got a dad. You know, he was in the desert in in Hagar's womb. It wasn't looking good for him. He was going to grow up without a dad. And you know, kids do need to grow up with dads. Kids do need to grow up with dads. And we've got a society increasingly that is saying, oh, it doesn't matter. They can cope without. You know, single parent families, they, yeah. Now some, some people may be in that situation. That's, that's where Hagar was. But the best is that kids have a dad. That's what God wants. And it may well be you know, it may well be there's, there's even people here. Maybe, maybe there's people here who are dads. Maybe there's people here who are dads, but they're not with their children. I would encourage you, be a dad to your kids. But it's difficult. You don't understand the circumstances, whatever, yeah. But be a dad. It may well be there are people. You know, I said Hagar, Hagar found herself in the desert. Who was going to marry her? woman who's got carrying someone else's kid but god can give grace you know god gave grace to joseph it wasn't his child it was god's child but he brought up jesus he would have you know he would have suffered a lot of comments a lot of comments a lot of laughing behind his back a lot of shame you are you're marrying mary it's not your kid, is it? Why are you marrying her? People wouldn't have known it was God's son at the time. He probably wouldn't have played that well if he'd said, oh, you know, it's all right, it's, all right. it's God's son. Oh, but that's all right then. Carry on. <laughs> There's going to be shame for Joseph. It's going to be difficult. You know, there might be some young men here who are thinking, oh, I'm looking for a wife. Don't rule out marrying someone who has come to know God. A godly woman who maybe is still living with some of the consequences of past sin. Maybe she's got children. Don't rule out marrying her. Don't just dismiss it. That may be what God has got for you. Maybe. Wonderful. God's grace coming in. Anyway. Didn't mean to say any of that. <laughs> What's God's plan for us? What's God's plan for us? Our need 
Our greatest need is to see God. To see God. That's what we've heard this morning. That's what God said to us this morning in the worship time. He wants us to see him. He sees us. But he wants us to see him. God does come. And he meets us in our desperation. God does see us. God does hear us. I say again, even to children. Children might be thinking, well, God, does he see me? Does he see me? Yeah, he sees you. He hears you. He hears the prayers you pray. He sees you. He doesn't think you're insignificant. The disciples thought that children were insignificant. The disciples thought they weren't important. They, they were keeping them away from Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Let the children come to me. I want the children to come to me. God sees you. If you're a child today. And he wants you to see him. You might think, oh, I don't know. I, I've, never, I've never really seen God. I've never really understood it. I, I've heard all this stuff and my parents seem to be believing it. And I don't know, but I, I've not seen it for myself. Do you know, God wants you to see him. He might show you him today. He might reveal himself. He may well do. Because he's, he's wanting to speak to us today on this. You know, the thing is for us, there, there may well be times when we're tempted, as I said, to question God's goodness, to question his faithfulness, to question his love, to say, to shout out to him, God, where are you? What are you doing in life? We might be so tempted to think, you know, we would do a better job. God. You're sovereign, but we would, we would be, be, we would do a better job at being sovereign. We would be a better head of the church than you, who is the head of the church. We would be a better savior. We can sort ourselves out. But you know, it's not true. We might wonder where God is, but, and we might wonder why God doesn't do what we hoped he would do, but God's never going to fit into our boxes. God's never going to fit into our expectations. He's never just going to do what we expect him to do because he's God. And we are not. And at those times, at those times when we, when we wonder, where are you, God? What are you doing? And there's the temptation to run away. It's at those times we need to run to God. We need to run to the very person who we are we're wondering, well, what's going on here? Because once we stop trusting him, once we stop reminding ourselves of the truth of God's word, the truth that we might have heard for years and years and years, but now when the rubber hits the road, is this true? Is it really true for me? Can I really believe it? Now is the time we need to run to him. Because if we stop trusting him, if we stop believing him, all we're going to do is start running away from him. And the truth is, even if we don't see God, and there are times when we don't, and sometimes those times drag on, and we don't see God, and we don't hear God, he sees us. He does see us. He does hear us. God, I, I can't, I don't, I don't, it seems as though you're not even hearing my prayers. Yeah, he does. He does. He hears your prayers. But I don't feel it. No. I don't see any evidence of it. No. You're kind of in the wilderness. You're in that desert place. But he does see you. He does hear you. And he wants you to see him. As we've heard already. In that wilderness. In that place where we are dry and thirsty and desperate. He will come. Just wait for him. Wait for him. He'll come in his grace. He'll meet with us. A spring in the wilderness. A spring in the desert. He'll pour out his spirit on us. Spirit of comfort and of life. In, in John chapter 7, Jesus stood up at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Feast of the Tabernacles was remembering when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, in the desert, in a dry place. And on the last day, the last day, 
when you've been there a while, Jesus stood up, it said, in verse 37 of chapter 7, and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Of course people are thirsty. Of course people are thirsty. Never mind if anyone is thirsty. We're thirsty. The Israelites were thirsty. Hagar was thirsty. We are thirsty. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Come to Jesus and drink. And God will pour out his spirit into our lives. We'll meet him, a spring in the desert. And it may well be that God says to us, do you know what? I want you to go back. I want you to go back into that situation you were in. I want you to go back into that marriage. Maybe you've never physically left it. But I want you to go back into that marriage relationship. And and actually start believing for it again. Start looking for me to work in it. Don't just accept where it's got to. I want you to go back into that, to those children. I want you to go back into that difficult situation. And I want you to trust me for it. Because I'm with you. And I see you. And I hear you. And I will act. And I will come in mercy and grace. And I will give you more than you hope to believe for. And yeah, there may still be consequences and there may still be things to work out. And there may be things that aren't going to be as we hoped they would be. But there will be blessing. And we will see God and we will know him. And God will have a plan and purpose for us. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, we've said this fairly recently. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you'll find me. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will be found by you. We will see him. God's wanting to bring us back to that place if we are in the wilderness. And we might think, oh, but I'm just a bit part. Yeah. That's who God has seen. There are no bit players in God's kingdom. There are no bit players in God's church. First Corinthians 12 says we're all one body. Each one a part of it. Each one as important as the other. God wants to reveal himself to us this morning. Let's pray.